Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to come on down here and uh, try to get informal with you a little bit so we can just have a good time this morning. Everybody uh, doing okay? Let's go ahead and start out just with a little word of prayer here and just invite God to help us with everything we do. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for being real to the hearts of every one of us. And Lord, we ask you to open up our minds and our hearts today so that you can become more real to us and things can become more plain to us how simple it is to experience you and to walk with you and to have a relationship with you that goes beyond just pure knowledge alone. Father, we ask you for these things. And even as we pray, I thank you that healings are taking place in this room. Pains are disappearing. I thank you, Lord God, that headaches are disappearing. Father, the cause and root of different symptoms are disappearing in Jesus' wonderful, precious name. We thank you, Lord, that just being gathered together, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And if you're here, Lord Jesus, I thank you that sickness isn't. So we'll give you praise and glory that great things can take place from the very moment we say amen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, it's going to be great to... uh, have this opportunity. I really enjoy being here at this church. Uh, Pastor Mark and Amy have done such a wonderful job just training you and, uh, and, and putting things into your hearts and, ex- and demonstrating to this church body that God is real. Amen? Amen. You know, when you think about it, and, and I know this will seem right to every one of us without having to dig out the scriptures for it, anybody that received anything in the Word of God, and then, think about it, anybody that's received anything here on the earth, one thing always seems to be synonymous, and that is, God was real to them. Or, I could say it this way, He was real to somebody. For instance, I've ministered to people who didn't know God from, you know, come here and giddy up, you know what I mean? But because I knew God, I was able to minister God's presence to them, and they were healed. So somewhere... In the equation, God is real to someone. Well, instead of this being hit and miss, why can't God be real to every single one of us? See, we got to be real careful because everything in religion is about knowledge without experience. And that can become really dangerous. And all you have to do is look at the Pharisees to see that Jesus really didn't talk real kind to them. Not because he was mad at them, not because he didn't like them, but because the only way he could help them was to just put it right between their eyes and let them know, you're searching for me daily. You got your heads in your Bibles. You're as religious as can be. But you don't realize that everything you study is me, and I'm here in the flesh standing before you, and you miss me. That's pretty plain. So if Jesus could say that to people in that day, what's the possibility he could say that to us in our day? I mean, they had to read scrolls. My God, we've got our smartphones. They're so smart, they can give you messages, download all kinds of, of praise songs. So what's the possibility we've got more potential to listen and hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and listen and listen and listen and get further away from God if we're not experiencing what we're listening to. Brother Hagin used to ask me years ago, you know, when he was still alive, and I was teaching the prayer and healing school, did that for 10 years. 
he'd ask me every once in a while to come do uh, Faith Library. And it was a group, well, we would have what back then? We had about 1,200, well, about 1,000 people each year. Maybe eight, seven to 100 to 1,000 per class. And you had two classes back then. You had a first year, second year. So I'd have the whole group, so 800 to 1,000 people. Now, these are students that are just there listening and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And I'm doing healing school where it's not just about hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. It's about being healed and healed and healed and healed. Because when you're hurting, just hearing 10 more sermons is great if what you're hearing is helping you to make a connection where you can stop hurting. But if you're hurting after 10 sermons, you better go back and check up from the first one to the 10th one. What am I hearing or am I listening correctly because something ought to be changing? The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So we shouldn't be preaching a gospel that falls upon ears and doesn't produce anything. So on purpose, I'd come into that room and they didn't know me because they weren't coming to prayer and healing school, the majority of them. I'd come into the room and just shock and awe. I'd stand up and say, now I'm guaranteeing you in the next 10 minutes at least 15 things will happen in this room, all the way from anything from pain disappearing to gross disappearing. And the number one reason why it's going to happen, I'd get real confrontational. The number one reason why it's going to happen is because I said so. And people are thinking, well, who are you? And you'd hear afterwards, people are saying, man, you know, who is that guy? Who does he think he is? Da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, the lady starts shouting and the tumor disappeared. And all of a sudden, someone would start shouting, my ear just opened up. Someone would start shouting, my hip just released, I can run. And I would do that on purpose to people that were getting so used to just getting knowledge without experiencing God. When Adam and Eve opened their eyes, tell me, people, please, tell me, what were they looking at? Were they looking at God or were they looking at a Bible? What does that say? It says that the original intention of God making man was to actually chum around with them, hang out with them, be friends with them. And man lost his way and God had to take a bunch of individuals that found God and take their story and stick it into a book so that people could read the story to do what? To invest their whole life in the story? No. To be curious enough to say, if you can find it, you can find him. And if you can find him, you can find him. And if you can find him, I can find him. And if he changed your life, he can change. And if he healed your body, he can heal. And if he blessed your life, he can bless mine. If you can find him blessing somebody once, he's going to do it twice. If somebody can know God and hear his voice, I can know him and hear his voice. Woo, glory. If an enemy can come against you and be scattered and your life blessed, then the enemies that come against me will be scattered and my life will be blessed. And all of a sudden that book turns your curiosity into what? An open heart and an open mind, and that's where God can show himself. I'm feeling better already about the second service. The first service was a trial run. I'm sorry. Amen. Amen. That's what happens. That's, Pastor Mark will tell you, he has a first service and a second service, so he can get better by the second service. 
<laughs> you know, I've been, in, I've been in churches where they got three services, and it's a cattle call, you know. You got 20, 25 minutes. So the first time I ever had that happen, I started, I started my introduction. It only got to the first point. The second service, I did half the introduction and got to the second point. The third service, I just went to the summary and laid hands on everybody. So, you know, you kind of get where you're working with some of the things that you're sharing. And so I'm going to do this totally different because I feel like it'll benefit you more. John 14, verse 18 to 20 in the Message Bible. I want to go there real quick here because we're already setting the tone for some things in the next few moments for people to experience God in this service. Boy, you talk about God touching his children and you experiencing him. And I'll tell you what, you can, you can cause the, the, the atmosphere and the level of the anointing, or you can say the feeling of God's presence just to start to go right up. Because God so badly wants to show you that he's not just letters on a page. He's a real person. And, and, and he sent Jesus as a physical demonstration of who he is to show you exactly what you can expect by looking at the life of Jesus. And people even miss that. And even his own disciples missed it. Jesus told his disciples, you've seen the Father. And they said, well, Lord, if you'll show him to us, it'll be sufficient. And they'll say, well, how long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen him. Don't you get it? Everything I've said is because I don't say anything unless I hear him say it. Everything I've done, I don't do anything unless I see him do it. I am his expression. I am his love. I am his outstretched hand. If I've healed one, the Father's healed that one. People would say, they'd marvel at Jesus and say, what amazing works you've done. And Jesus said, no, the Father did it. Jesus never made himself be the end of everything. It was always the Father. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes. See, it's about the Father. Coming through Jesus to experience God. Once you experience God... Everything else pales in comparison. And if we've yet to experience God in a real way, then it says religion has the upper hand. That religion has done a better job than truth. And they've produced in us the idea that Christianity is more about a group of people coming together than it is each individual experiencing God. And then we can come together to share the stories. I like what Pastor Amy said when she was up there. She said, next week we'll do the testimonies. They were cutting some things short to give me a little more time because they knew I just needed more time. (laughs) They're right. And I appreciate that they were doing that. Some churches, you know, you get there and the anointing is there and the pastors end up preaching a little mini-sermon before you get there and they give you 15 minutes and they're expecting you to jump through hoops, you know. I appreciate Pastor Mark just giving me this time, but I, I love what she said. Testimonies. You guys have testimonies here. Are you kidding me? How'd you get those testimonies? Do you think God is real? Do you expect Him to do what He says He'll do? Or do you just read about Him and hope and a pray and twiddle your thumbs that someday it might be your day? It's kind of like the lottery ticket. Maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll get one. And if I get one, maybe someday, someday, someday. No, someday, maybe, it might be me. No, this isn't a lottery ticket. This is every day, all the time, as much as you want. You can go as far as you like with God. There are no limits and no boundaries to Him. Can you say amen to that? John chapter 14, verse 18 to 20. I love this in the Message Bible, how it 
opens up my thoughts, the Message Bible does. In this passage, it says, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I'm alive. And notice what it says. And you're about to come alive. At that moment, in other words, when you come alive, at that moment, you will know absolutely that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, if you go to the Mexican restaurant after, after service and you have too many refried beans, you'll know something's in the inside. Working on the outside, oh, what a change in your life, you know? I know that seems crude, but isn't it interesting how well attached and how knowledgeable we are about our own body, things that we don't even see but we know is going on inside of us. But how much more should we be knowledgeable about the God who lives on the inside of us? Now listen, look at the way Jesus said that. He said, you're about to come alive, and when you come alive, you will know absolutely, I am in you, you are in me, and we are together, one. God believes that when you accept Christ at that moment, you will know him. In other words, you experience him and your life changes not just because you've got ideas of what it's supposed to be like, because you've had an experience with somebody that's changed your life. That's what Jesus believes about it. And anything that's watered down from that is passed on from generations that have lost what's real. That's why today we're trying to find God's voice and find His presence and enjoy something that's so real. But we should have been enjoying it from the very first day that we came alive and absolutely came into an experience with God. Psalmist in Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. That doesn't mean be still and have knowledge of Him. Well, I've read after Napoleon and I know everything about him. Have you met him? Well, no, but I know him. No, you don't. You just know about him. It's not about knowing about God. It's about knowing God. It's about experiencing God. Because when you look in the Bible, anybody that got anything from God that experienced, had experiences in their life, it's because God became real to them. And we want God to become real to us. Look at this verse of Scripture over here in Matthew chapter 11. And then I'm going to give you a couple of simple little thoughts this morning. And it may go different, so I'm not going to just stay to what I did this morning. Matthew 11, 27. To 30. It says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. And this is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. Notice, not just knowledge. Knowledge, in most cases, doesn't just mean information. It means experience. No one knows the Son the way the Father does, nor the Father the way the Son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And then he goes on to say, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? In other words, religion won't help you to find this. But Jesus said, I'll help you to find this. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. So notice he's asking you to withdraw yourself from what you're doing. In other words, if you're going as hard as you can go, the way that you're going, and you're still not getting there, what does it say? But probably you're going the wrong way. Now, I know this for sure. Out here, you know, it's pretty much straight roads. But in Arkansas, there's nothing straight about Arkansas. If you get in Arkansas, you could be there for the rest of your life. 
So if you've been trying to get out of Arkansas for 15 years and you haven't got out of Arkansas yet, you better stop and make some adjustments because you're not going the right direction. Does that make sense? Well, it does make sense when it comes to earthly things because this is the way of man. In other words, bottom line, the almighty dollar. If you don't fix it today, you'll be fired tomorrow. Got 24 hours to make the adjustment. Why do we act like that? In the world, that's how we treat it. But with God, oh my goodness, we could go our whole entire life without having a prayer answered and still just keep spinning in circles. And never ask ourselves, why aren't we getting our prayer answered? Because there's plenty enough people, misery loves company, there's plenty enough people that aren't getting theirs answered to verify the reason why we're not getting ours answered. Because if you really began to ask questions, you'd have to start with yourself to say, did I make a mistake? And if you're not willing to have made a mistake, how in the world can you find out what the correction is? I love this. It says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Well, as I think about things and how God, Jesus, gave us some simple ideas about experiencing him, I can go back and if you'd like to, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 6 for a moment. I know this is going to be way too simple. But it's very important that we see he's wanting to make a connection with us. Now, I said this in the early service, and I'll say this again. I'll try to, try to do it better this time. We, we all know that friendships, you know, kind of have their crest, and then they, they kind of take a dive. In other words, friendships in the world, for instance, let's just say young people, kids. We're, we notice this with our girls. When they're really young, they have certain friends. As they get a little bit older, those friends change. Then they get a little bit older, those friends change. Then they graduate from high school, and they might go to college or go off into some type of technical school. And when they come to get back around their friends of high school, it's just kind of changed. It's not the same anymore. doesn't mean you don't love them, you don't appreciate them, but it's just not the same. Well, what begins to happen? I call it like this, time, tangibility, shared experiences. In other words, that describes making a connection. The more time I have with somebody, the more tangible they become, the more real they are to me, what? The more shared experiences that we have, and the more shared experiences you have, the better connection you have. If you think about that with a husband and a wife, it, it fits very perfectly. You, you see somebody that you really like to get to know, but they don't know you, you don't know them. So you begin to make some type of, uh, of move or method to be able to be in, cross their path, whatnot. You know, you just put, put all your different thoughts together of how you might meet them. The moment you meet them, if you really like them, you sense that they might really like you, you're going to try to meet them again. The more time you can spend with them, the more tangible it becomes. Why tangibility? Because, you know, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 love letters, that's nice. But how many love letters do you need to get until you finally want to say, I want to be with her? The letter's nice. But for how long is the letter nice? Are you going to go the rest of your life saying, I'm in a relationship with somebody? Have you ever seen them? No, I've never seen them, but I write them every day. Well, that's great. Huh? How long is it going to take before you want to do what? I want to meet this person, right? Come on, time, tangibility, shared experiences. 
So see the love letters, the Word of God. Thank God it's our instruction manual for us to find God. But just staying in the Word, in the Word, in the Word, without letting the Word bring you to Him, where you have the experience with Him, where He becomes tangible to you, is just left like a love letter where, where you know, it's good, but the other's supposed to be a part of it too, right? So you think about this. Friendships, they get better and better the more time you have with each other. The more tangible it is and the more shared experience it is, the more it begins to progress. In other words, are we further in our experience with God today than we were last week? Do we hear his voice better today than we heard his voice last week? Do we get more prayers answered today than we did last week? Because Christianity is a progression. Does anybody agree with that? What's the possibility if we haven't progressed, but we still love him, but we just haven't progressed? Maybe you haven't had a prayer answered ever, or maybe the last one you had was a year ago. Maybe the last time you heard God's voice was months ago. Then what would that say? It would say on your part, you're not facilitating an atmosphere where God can be real every day, all day long, and his voice can be heard all the time. Jesus wants to help us with this. I'll be real careful not to tell too many, too many stories. I got a lot of stories I wish I could tell. I'll tell, I'll tell one here. It's a story of doing a youth meeting. And the only reason I'm saying this is because to our young people, can we really expect them, this next generation, to be so full of fire for God if they don't have experiences with God? I mean, can you imagine telling, and I'm not just talking about this church. You may relate it to this church where there's things that are happening, but there are so many places where things are not happening. Can you imagine going to some dead church and the youth that are there, and it's a small youth group because hardly anybody wants to come, and telling them we're going to have a revival? How, what's a revival? It's a week long of meetings, and you have to be there. I have to go to church every night. Oh, my God, did I do something wrong? Am I being punished? <laughs> See, those will be the thoughts. Why? Because it's just rhetoric. It's just getting together. It's nonsense. And young people know more than us older folks, we can get into the cycle of, trick, of, of fooling ourselves, but young people know whether it's, whether it's real or whether it's not. Amen. I got asked by this guy to do a youth meeting years ago, and this is when I was at the prayer and healing center, and you know, I, I didn't do youth, but out of respect for who he was asking me, I said, sure, I'd love to do it. And then when I got off the phone, I thought, oh my God, what did I do? I'm not even cool. And, and then I actually called up the youth guy and said, what, what are the words that kids use nowadays? And this was back in about 97 or so, 98. And, and he said, well, the word cool, they don't use that because that's my generation. Cool, man, cool. So he said they use the word tight or fresh. I said, really? That's the best that they can come up with, tight or fresh? And I know it's changed today. But my thought was tight is when you eat too much and your belt's tight. Fresh just went back in my day. If you were fresh to a girl, they'd slap you. Or if, if, it, was, if it rained outside after it was fresh, the smell of, the, of, of everything after the rain had come. So I'm thinking, I can't use those words. Those are so goobery, you know. I mean, I'm not going to do that. That's not cool. See, now I'm struggling again. How am I going to do this youth meeting? 
So I said to the Lord, right there sitting at my desk, I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me an equalizer if I'm going to do a youth meeting because there's 300 youth coming to this. And then the second year, 600. So I said, I need an equalizer. I need some help here. And when I said that, I had a vision. I didn't know I had a vision. Almost lost a vision because I got so excited that it was a vision, it almost left. (laughs) But I had a vision. And in this vision, I saw myself challenge the strongest man in that room to an arm wrestling match, and I was going to whip him by the power of God. And I'm going to wager the whole meeting on whether or not I can beat him. Well, in the middle of the vision, I'm... I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm winning, so I'm excited. So when I came out of the vision, I was all pumped up, you know, thinking, oh, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. I can't wait to do this. So I'm excited all day long at this wonderful meeting that we're going to have. And then when I got home, I told Aaron, I said, Aaron, I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is what the Lord showed me, and I'm going to arm wrestle this guy, and I'm going to change it. And the first thing she said was, she goes, are you really going to do that? And the first time all afternoon, I'd, I thought to myself, yeah, I don't know. Am I really going to do that? And then the next thing you know, all these thoughts start to come. What happens if it doesn't work? Because this was a great meeting. Because in this meeting, the pastor was going to take care of us going to Panama City, Florida. Chloe wasn't here at that time, but Allie and and Drew were here. And uh, we were going to Panama City, Florida on an all-expense trip down there. There was a kind of a beach or whatever down there. Real nice pools. And we're going to do this youth meeting. So the thought of it not working would be like to mess up the whole, you know, family vacation. So for three months, I'm battling back and forth. I'd have a healing school, and everybody would die, and then I'd say, forget it, I'm not doing this. And then I'd have a healing school, and everybody was healed, and I'd go, glory to God, I'm going to do this, you know. I'm fighting back and forth between my flesh. Because, again, I'm talking about God being real. How can you go and preach something you can't demonstrate to young people? Then they get the idea that God's not real either and prayers don't work. The next thing you know, you've got a whole other generation that doesn't have any experience with God. And as far as Christianity is concerned, it's just nothing but just a bunch of talk. Two weeks before the meeting, two of our friends who were best friends with this pastor and went to that church came and stayed at our house. So I thought, what better chance do I have but to tell them what I'm getting ready to do at their pastor's meeting that's a youth meeting. So I told them, and they just looked at me with open mouth and big-eyed while I told them what I was getting ready to do. And when I got done, uh, the the man, uh, husband and wife, the husband looks at me in this lowered voice goes, Now, Jim, let me just share something with you. You really have to know that you know that you know in order to do something like this, or you could lose your ministry. And then he went on to talk to me and give me warning about this crazy thing that I was, the idea that I would do something so crazy like that, went on and on. And I just sat there and listened, which was the first miracle. I didn't interrupt him. I just sat there and listened. And when he got done, I looked at him all sincerely and said, you know, I'm so thankful that you came. I said, God's using you to help me. And he said, well, I'm so thankful that we could be helpful. I said, you really have. You've helped me to make a decision. Thank you so much. And he said, well, we're going to bed now. I'm glad that we could help. It was a wonderful call, a talk that we had. And he went on up the stairs, and they were crossing over the little catwalk there as they were going to where their room was. And as they got up to the top of the steps, I said, oh, by the way. And they looked, stopped for a second, said, yeah. I said, I'm going to do it. And they said, what? You're going to do it? I said, well, yes. I've been trying to get out of the ministry for years. I didn't know I could lose my ministry that easily. 
And they, if you remember, they just shook their head like this and went, went to their room. And I'm all psyched because if that's what that means, you challenge me, I'm going to lose my ministry over that? Good, let's lose it. Let's either lose it or have it. One of the two. But in this middle ground, forget this stuff. So I got to the meeting and, and the pastor, whoever was there, he introduces me and I get up and I said to the people, I said, well, we're going to, to the young people, there's 300 of them there. I said, we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. I said, we're going to change this thing up. I said, here's what's going to happen. I said, I'm going to arm wrestle the strongest man in this room. And I said, I'm going to wager whether or not you have to come and listen to me, whether or not we're going to leave and go home from this place, on whether or not I can whip him. And if I can't beat him, I'm out of here. You don't have to listen to me. I'm gone. Of course, Aaron was, help. Aaron was in the back of the room there, in the corner there, you know, getting ready to go run and get the kids and get out of town as fast as we could go. And I was going to go out the side door and run with her. It's amazing what happens when you step out to believe God, how your mind can just literally go crazy. Isn't that right? Well, that's what was happening. But nonetheless, I stood up and said it. This is what God's getting ready to do. Who's the strongest man in this room? Well, all these kids pointed right over here to the music director, the music, the, the music leader, the song leader. Now, this song leader is a little bit different than you. You've got a nice statue. This guy had... This frame, you know, that was like a big V-back like this. Didn't have a neck. His shirt just sat on his traps like this, went right into his neck. His polo shirt couldn't get over his arm because it got stuck right here. His arms were so big. And when he's up there worshiping, I'm looking around to see who the strongest man in the room is going to be before this takes place. And when I'm looking at him, it seems like every time he said, come on, lift your hands and worship God to me, it was looked like he did this to me, right? <laughs> He's got these big arms. And if that's not bad enough, his name is, for all of you, this dates me a little bit back, takes me back quite a few years ago to the WWF wrestlers. His name is Andre. <laughs> for Andre the Giant. If you remember back. And everybody points, Andre. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, have mercy. So I thought, you know, I'll go ahead and make this so strong that Andre won't want to even get up. So I said, Andre, let me tell you right here. I said, I'm going to wrestle you if you'll take this, if you'll take this uh, um, challenge. I'm going to arm wrestle you. I'm going to whip you right in front of all these kids if you'll take this challenge. And I'm thinking he's just going to say, well, I don't want to take this. And then he stood up. That ruined my whole day. <laughs> he starts walking down to the front. Now, he walks different than I do. I can actually walk in a straight line without my legs rubbing together. <laughs> he had to walk like this. Guy's got big old legs, you know. Big. And, of course, everything's magnified in your eyes because you're getting ready to arm wrestle this guy. And here he comes walking toward me. It's about from there, well, a little bit longer distance to about here. When he got to where about this gentleman is right here, and I'm just, you know, my mind is just thinking, oh, my goodness, what in the world have you done? I'm thinking, Aaron, I'll be right there. Let's get out of town as quickly as we can. All of a sudden, I watched this guy as he's walking. He stopped like this. And then he backpedaled like this, and he looked around to everybody. And then he looked to me, and I saw his eyes just begin to ding, 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 ding. In other words, God's presence came on him. And when I saw that, I looked at him and said, Come on, big boy, you want a piece of me? Get over here. 
Because all of a sudden you get a little bit sassy, you know, and you realize, glory to God, he's with me, you know. Why? Because remember, it goes back to what? The more real God is, the easier it is to walk by faith and experience him. We want to let God become real in our life. Because the less real he is, then something else is real. And if it's not God, it must be the flesh in the world. Well, Andre walked the best he could like a drunk man, getting over there. And the rest of the story is pretty simple. Even the associate pastor, when he came to, came to start it as the official, he grabbed our hands. When he did, the power of God hit him. He fell over on Andre. I looked at him and said, get off him. I don't need your help. And then he started the arm wrestling match, and it was pretty simple. The guy's arm was just like a girl. It was just, sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> but he was just flimsy, and I just stuck him down. And when I did, I went, bam, 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 bam. The coolest thing that happened is all those kids, 300 kids, started running around the room. Things started taking place. God started moving, and those kids got touched by God. It was an awesome week. Now, my point is to say, even though it's a fun story, the more real God is, the easier it is for God to be what? Experienced. Look at something over here in Matthew chapter 6, real quick, all right? I'm just going to show you something that Jesus said. I know this is going to sound too simple, but it's really, really, really good. Matthew, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew in chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, Message Bible, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more than outer appearance of the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror even got taller by so much as, uh, as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. A little bit further, he goes on to say, what I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax and stop being so preoccupied with getting so that you can begin to experience God's giving. Now listen, here's, here's where I got to draw the parallels and then we'll, we'll, we'll conclude. Before Adam and Eve sinned, what kind of experience was it? Adam and Eve, did they have a chance to experience God ever or was it all the time? All the time. Do you remember Adam and Eve didn't even really know they had bodies until after they sinned. Once they sinned, they recognized their bodies. What does that tell you? The flesh world was not really that important. It was living out of the spirit. Yes, they were living in bodies. Their bodies were like a car, like a vehicle, where they would go as they were connected to this planet. They would go where they needed to go, but their, their fellowship with God was spirit to spirit. Now, it's still that way today, but we've lost that. We've lost sight of that. We've lost the knowledge or experience of that in exchange for what? Well, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, they became what? They became connected from their flesh to the world. Come on, think about this. The to-do list. How many of you use your notes? I have to use my notes. Do you use your alarm? 
Do you use put put notes in your in your in your phone that have a specific time where it alerts you, gives you an alarm as to what to do? I need to do that. Where did all this to-do list stuff came from? Well, God didn't invent it. When you were with God, you weren't concerned about anything except hanging out with God, and God was concerned with everything and made sure you had it. The to-do list running around trying to satisfy your flesh and do the things in this life to try to have any type of life, that's all a part of Adam and Eve's sin. That's the way of the Gentile. That's the way of life without God. Where it's about you and what you do, how well you do it, whether or not you're you're very consistent with it and very diligent at it in order to get ahead in life and have more than someone else and have provision and have blessing, have life, have health. It's all about you. What protein shakes you take and what vitamins you take and what bad foods you don't eat, saturated fats and all this. It's about you. But when you're connected to God, it's about God and what He does for you whole different reality. What does Jesus say here as far as a connection? Isn't it interesting that he gets right to the very simplest of simple opportunities to build some type of connection? And what does he do? He asks you if you've looked at the birds lately. He asks you if you've noticed the flowers lately. What does that have to do? I've got cancer. Do you know noticing the beauty of the flowers is more real than your cancer? Your cancer is only real because the world makes it real. We have months dedicated to cancer where people wear pink. See, somebody may even say in here, brother, I hope you don't go there. Yeah, I'm going to go there. The more we wear pink during the month of October, the more we make people wear a breast cancer. The more people are made aware of breast cancer, the more breast cancer there is. It's all about what you believe and the reality that you accept. Why don't we have month after month of crimson red, remembering the blood of Jesus and that we're free of all sickness and all disease? Maybe if people started believing that sickness and disease was already handled, we wouldn't have so much of it. It would begin to disappear. It would begin to dwindle. Come on, one of the ways you get rid of a cat is what? You don't feed it. Sorry. The moment I said that, she went, so I could tell she's got a cat. But it's true. If you didn't feed it, where would it go? It would find food somewhere else. Come on, we're the ones that allow things to be what? Attached to us because we believe in them. Say, so what do you mean you believe in them? Well, just go look at your what? Your medicine cabinet and see how much you put in there to prepare for things that haven't even happened. Oh, well, there's an amazing sale on all kinds of antihistamines. I'm, I went ahead and loaded up because winter's coming, you know. Well, isn't that amazing? You're using your imagination to put more stuff into your house to give you the ability to be feel better when you feel bad. And you, ha- and you don't even feel bad yet. 
Why don't you use your imagination to actually see that Jesus has already set you free from all this and there's no way that you'll ever get it and just get rid of it so that you can what? So that you don't even have to have it. Jesus goes to the flower and to the the little birds to do what? To help you to connect with the idea that what? God believes that there's an essence of himself in everything he made. I'll say it again. God believes that there is a residue and an essence of himself in everything he made. Even Paul said that about people that were exchanging wrong affections with wrong relationships, inordinate relationships. What did Paul say? No one has an excuse. They've hardened their hearts and God has given them over to a reprobate mind, which is a mind that's debased or a mind that is void of judgment. Or the original text says, a mind that is being used in the wrong place for the wrong thing. And what was the argument? That creation itself shows us so much of God, no one has an excuse to find him. So what's Jesus doing? If you want to have a relationship with me, I'll show you how easy it is. Begin to connect with the things that I actually have done that are staring right in front of your face. Because the more you begin to see the smallest of little things and acknowledge that it's me, the more your eyes will open to see more of me. And all of a sudden, your heart begins to what? Connect with God. Folks, listen, this is really simple. We were made as human beings to connect with something. We were made as human beings to hear something, to see something, to feel something, to taste something, to smell something. The idea that your human senses are the real senses is a misnomer. Your spirit is the one that has the real senses. To walk by faith is to see the spirit things, the spirit realm, to hear the voice of the spirit, to feel the presence of the spirit. Paul says walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, not by your senses. So what is a mature man that walks by faith? One that has spiritual insight, hearing, smelling, taste, touch. Be sad, wouldn't it, to get to heaven and see the most amazing fruit in the whole world, take a bite of it, but you can't taste it? To go to a beautiful garden in heaven and see the most beautiful flowers you've ever seen, but they don't smell? I'm telling you what, your spirit, man, is full of senses. And we've just not allowed him to be the one in control. So we've magnified the senses of our body and we're led so much. Well, who did that to us? Adam did that to us. He never repented. He didn't ask forgiveness and he didn't try to get back into the garden, which says what? He accepted that new reality and we all accepted it as though there is none other, but there is. God is real. And he's easier to be what? To be had or to be felt or to be expected or to be contacted than we've made him to be. That verse of scripture that I read to you, he said, when you come alive, you'll know exactly and absolutely that I am in you, you're in me. Maybe your spirit is more alert and alive than you think. Maybe in this service right here this morning, we could experience God more readily than you know. 
When I was in prayer and healing school, everything about prayer and healing school was about experimenting with the anointing, experimenting with the grace of God, using it on purpose to help people get healed. In fact, I actually was better at that than experiencing God on my own on a regular basis. And that's something that I put more emphasis on in these later years, just experiencing God myself. But in healing school, we get to the place where we'd experiment on how to get that anointing on somebody. I remember sitting in a service. The anointing of God was in my hands. I could feel that presence in my hands. And the pastor had already come up to, get, to take up the offering. I'd already laid hands on everybody. And that, that fire is in my hands. I could feel it. So I asked the Lord, just sitting there, I said, is there somebody that I missed? And he didn't say a thing. I said, well, if, if there's nothing that you want me to do with this anointing, I'm going to experiment with it. As long as I can feel it, I'm going to do something with it. So I put my hand on the seat next to me and I said, in the name of Jesus, I release. And the moment I said release, that power came out of my hand, went right into that chair. He said, well, that seems a little far-fetched. Well, it did for me too, so I wanted to experiment with how real is it. Because I knew theoretically that chair was now a hot seat. I looked around the room and all the way over to the edge, I saw this little boy that must have been about six, seven, eight years of age. And I waved him down until he finally looked at me and he said, me? And I said, yeah, you, come here. And he went ahead and he went like this, came all the way across to the front. And when he got to me, he said, what do you want? I said, I'm here all by myself. I said, would you keep me company and sit next to me for a minute? He said, oh, okay. And I pointed right to where I put my hand. And I said, sit right here. I didn't tell him it was a hot seat. I didn't tell him that I released the anointing into that seat. Because as far as an, a normal person would think, normal to this world in the flesh, that's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. There's nothing in that seat. But I wanted to prove it. I just said, here, sit right there. And he sat right where I put my hand. I crossed my leg, crossed my arms like this, looked up at the pastor, looked down at him, smiled like this. And I'm just, 30 seconds later, I hear all these noises. <laughs> I went like this, I said, what are you doing? He said, I, I don't know. I said, why are you doing that? He said, because I'm really hot. <laughs> I said, would you like to go back to your mommy and daddy? He says, yes. And he took off running. Just proving what? That there was something there. I was in a prayer room. And this one gal that was one of our workers, she was in there with me praying for this husband and this wife. And that anointing got so strong in my hand, it felt like it was burning a hole right through it. I'm rubbing it like this, you know. And finally, I said, Lord, I'm going to experiment with this. I know this sounds really crazy and weird. But again, how real is God? I went over to the wall. I know this is crazy. The wall, yeah, I couldn't think of anything else. I went over to the wall, put my hand, I said, I released that power. I felt that power come right out of my hand, go into the wall. I'm talking about drywall, drywall, Okay. <laughs> This girl was down on the floor on her knees with this lady praying for her when I did that. She didn't see anything, didn't hear anything because I didn't make it known. I just said it real quietly under, under my breath. And I went over, tapped her on the shoulder. Her name was Durette. I think it, um, no, it wasn't Durette. It was close to that. Anyhow, I went over, tapped her on the shoulder. I said, come here. And everyone else said, just keep on praying. Come here. And she came with me and I said, close your eyes. And I stuck her hand on the place that I put that in on the wall. And I said, just stand here, put your hand on the wall and just stand. I said, just think on Jesus. And I walked away and I went and ministered to the person. Well, the moment that her hand touched the wall, the power of God came into her. She ended up having a vision. And in that vision, Jesus came up to her and touched her. 
and began to talk to her about the very thing she had asked him about that morning and gave her the answer to it. Say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that's up to you to believe or not to believe. The idea is, is it possible that God can become more and more real to us? And if he can, what's the possibility we'll have more experience? Remember, time, tangibility, shared experiences is what makes a connection. And the more of it you have, the better the connection is. The better the connection with God is, you go from praying for prayers to be answered to not needing to pray at all. Why? Because there's nothing wrong. Adam and Eve didn't pray prayers in the garden. Why? Because there was nothing that they lacked. They just enjoyed Jesus. Could it be as simple as starting with flowers and birds? Yep. Because what's God asking you to do? Pull away from the life that's so busy where you're not finding Him so that you can begin to experience Him. Well, you don't understand my life. It's so busy from morning to night. I know. That's the problem. We're all way too busy. So how do you do this? You mean just noticing while I'm going to work? What's going on with the sunrise and the sunset and the birds that are flying in the sky and the beauty of nature? Yeah, that's one way to begin to acknowledge Him because the moment you begin to acknowledge God, you'll begin to make a connection with God. Folks, think of those friends. We lose connection with them. I mean, you're in in middle school and they're no longer in your class. But you were best buddies when you were in class. Now they're not in your class. And you're best buddy with somebody else. But you still see them at lunch, so you're still kind of friends. But it's just not the same that it was yet last year. And then you move on over to high school, and they go somewhere else. But they're just still in town. You could call them, but you're not there anymore. No time, no tangibility, no shared experiences. And that, that friendship begins to wane. What happens if you begin to build more time, tangibility, and shared experiences? All of a sudden, that person's so real. You know them. They know you. I've known Mac for years, but we're more acquaintances than we are best friends. Because best friends, it takes time, tangibility, shared experiences. And every time I see him, I still enjoy him just as much as the last time I saw him. But I've never really spent a lot of time around Mac, except maybe on the golf course one day. You see him at church the next day, the man camp, I saw you for what, three days in a row? So there's only so far we're going to be able to go as far as his ability to benefit my life and my ability to benefit his life. Come on, we need to ask ourselves the question, is Jesus like a long-lost friend? Or is he the best of friends every day? We're feeling him, we're seeing him, we're hearing him, we're touching him. He's real to us. Come on, look at what this world has done to us. We're feeling our phones, we're touching our phones, we're hearing our phones We're knowing our phones. The technology of the day, it's so amazing. It's really not. Come on. If you married your spouse, your wife, your husband, and you were off on the little prairies, you know, and you grew up with your little family, you'd be dependent on your wife. Your wife would be dependent on you. You'd have a real strong relationship. Why? Because that's all you got. Today, even in our marriages, Facebook, Twitter, TV, 
it takes the place of the time we need to really spend with each other, doesn't it? The reason why people love TV so much is because you can watch somebody else do what it would have taken you effort to do yourself, but you don't have to give the effort because you can watch somebody else do it. Come on, if your relationship with your spouse isn't that good, you can just watch a romance where theirs is really good. And it kind of somewhat satisfies the idea that maybe someday it could be. If you're a wannabe football player or a wannabe cowboy or a wannabe this or a wannabe that, you can just watch it on TV and get somewhat satisfied that at least somebody's. See, what does it do? It relieves us of our responsibility to go and have it ourselves. Nowadays, everything is just about giving it to you. Oh, we'll give you a purple, a purple ribbon, a purple ribbon. When I grew up, there was only a blue ribbon, a red ribbon, and a white ribbon. That was it. And if you didn't get one of those three, you didn't get one. Come on, we got cut from the team if we weren't good enough. You didn't get picked. And no one went beside you and told you how sorry they were about it. Why? Because it was a matter of want to. If you wanted to get better the next year and you wanted to be on the team and you got cut from it the year before, you worked harder. You became accountable and responsible to your own choices. But today we take that away. And when we take that away, we lose the accountability and responsibility to look at the flowers and see the birds every day and let that relationship begin to grow until God's so real. You've got God in your life from sunup to sundown. And that's why someone's heart's being healed in this room right now. If you've had problems with your heart, you come on up here. I'll lay my hands on you and that power will come into your body and set you free. If you've had problems in your heart, come on up here right now. Somebody's had a problem right behind, uh, I believe it's the right ear, right there at the base of the skull. If you've had difficulty right there, had difficulty turning your neck, we're going to wind you up like an owl and turn you 360 degrees. Glory to God, you'll be set free. Brothers, the heart, just turn right here. You got a monitor on and everything? Oh, you're all hooked up. Well, you want, you want to get hooked up to that machine? You want to get hooked up to Jesus? Kind of sound like a, like a TV preacher. Glory to God, get hooked up to Jesus. And if you'll send us in an offering of $1,000, we'll give you oven mitts from the Sea of Galilee. That's how ridiculous things are today. That's how ridiculous things are today. Brother, let me ask you a serious question here. How long do you want those monitors and those cords to be a part of your life? Are we done with that? Because I'm going to tap you on the chest. When I do the fire, God's going to go through your heart and change the composition of your heart. And where it wasn't working, glory to God, from this very moment, bam, it's going to come alive. And the reason it is, is because when you make a connection with God, God gets involved. You say, my God, the guy's got a bad heart. He's got, a, he's got wires hooked up to him, and he's got a monitor on You're going to hit him in the heart? That's right. I'm planning on God getting there before I hit him. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can feel that right now. In Jesus' name, he sets you free. You watch this man's testimony. Even before the week is out, you watch this man's testimony. You'll find out he got a brand new heart. And that heart's pumping. That heart's working. He's got more energy. He don't need all that garbage hooked up to him. Jesus became his answer here this morning. 
What about you? deal with the blocked artery, 80%, all right? 80% blocked? You only got 20% you're working on. Is that what they say? Wow, man, if I were you, I'd take off running, either die and let the people find me from the buzzards or let God be healed. You know, that's that's what they used to do in the old day. R.W. Shambach having a heart attack on the Jersey Turnpike. Old-time evangelist pulls over instead of going to the hospital pulls over to the side of the road jumps out of the car and says devil let's see if you can kill me and takes off running a half a mile down the road he said see I knew you couldn't ran back got in his car went on to his meeting see it's all the options that give us too many choices where we bail on God when you don't have anything left but God my goodness you'll get serious about that You'll pour your time, your tangibility, and shared experiences. You'll make a connection with them. Hell or high water, you will or you'll die.